Hello, this is Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. And this is Two Teachers Talking, episode number 22, almost a year of podcasting. And this is a podcast where Tony and I get together to talk about our ideas, thoughts, uh, questions we have about teaching, maybe some of the things we usually wouldn't discuss with other teachers or we wouldn't hear discussed in the teacher's room. And today we're going to be talking about what is known as effective filters, or basically in simple English, Tony, dead quiet on that end. <laughs> I always love that. I call them filters. I, I call, call them filters. I just call them my biases, you know, my blocks, uh. my walls, my emotional uh, defenses against things. Basically, we're talking about what we bring into the classroom and how those preconceived ideas um, positions, perceptions, theories, um, just who we are as human beings affect what goes on in the classroom, as well as some cultural and uh, just general personal things. And just as important, uh, the same kind of uh, dynamic that's going on with our students. Right, that they bring theirs into play. And so the classroom... Right, I mean, we're yeah, we're operating, uh, we're occupying the same space, but there's actually two very parallel universes. Right, that are, that are interacting in the same space, and that's why I think I'd call it the theater of the absurd. Because <laughs> it's really, it's the mixing of a bunch of different people's perceptions and expectations in this space that's called a classroom for 90 minutes. So... Tony, I think you have a nice little story to illustrate a little bit about what we're talking about. I think it's one of those yeah, I guess it's, it's, first it's day pretty, stories, isn't it? First day. It's a, yeah, it's first day or first week story. It probably was the very first day. It might have been the second. but um, Could have been the third or the fourth. <laughs> not likely. Not likely. It was a first or second. And uh, so this is... Um, Again, the beginning of the semester, so you're meeting the kids for the first time, or you're kind of establishing the mood that you want for the year, and um, you know, the kids are milling about, and um, some of the guys are uh, sitting on the floor, and it, it's a comfortable classroom. There's carpeting, and Wait, they're actually sitting on the floor, even though there are desks and chairs available right. for them to sit. So there's, that's a statement in and of itself. Right, and and generally, you know, I, for that kind of thing, I, I'll, I'll respect that. And it's like, okay, it's. It's not disruptive, and you know when the class starts, you can you know get back into your desk and and uh, so on. But uh, so there are a couple of guys sitting on the floor and they're talking, and the bell rings, and um, I take my official position, uh, start talking. Class goes on, and these guys they're on the floor, and the conversation continues, and uh, the rest of the class is you know, a little bit nervous. It's like okay, you know what's this guy going to do with this? It's like what's what's going to happen. Um, so I kind of just stop and stare and look at them, and the con conversation continues. And uh, you know, luckily, this is I've at this point I've been there, I've been here ten years, maybe maybe more, fifteen years. So um, I know enough not to overreact and, and poison the class for the for the rest of the academic year. Um, but just you know, I'm going to make it a learning moment. This is one of your one of your phrases that you like, and. Uh, you know, just kind of stop and watch, and the conversation continues. And finally, they realize that they're talking in silence, and the rest of the room is just staring at them. And the interesting thing was, they did not have a clue uh, as to why the class has stopped. Because uh, what became obvious later, you know, talking to them and, and working things out in, you know, in the next you know weeks. Uh, for them, that was 
ordinary classroom behavior. Hmm. These guys had no idea what appropriate classroom behavior was. Uh, apparently, this is what they did in high school. This is what they did in junior high school. They came to university, and there's no reason for them to think it's going to be any different. Right. Um, yeah, it's like, why Why did he stop talking? And this is I mean, just normal teacher. for them. For them, for them, it was normal. Yeah, that, that's what that's what school was. Okay, school is just a or a class is just a place where you keep talking until the time's up. And huh, that's interesting because I had. Uh, a similar experience, a little different. That's why I guess I'm saying similar and not the same. And it just happened uh, last week. I was giving um, my goodbye speech, a little three-minute f- speech where I you know, say thank you very much for your hard work and wish you luck and a little bit of advice about the future. And I noticed that two of my students were just talking through my little goodbye speech. And I finally stopped and said, excuse me, do you mind if I talk? So I think that that is describing something where people or the students have a different expectation of what it means to be in the classroom from what you or I feel. Mm, right. And there's a there's a, there's an interesting uh, – this slices all different kinds of ways because we've got um, – uh, the the teacher and the student we've got the foreigner and and the japanese and we've got the older and the younger and there's all kinds of different th- ways that the the problem can get sliced in different uh interfaces where there's friction and I... or discordance but one of the um what one of the interesting he- things here with both your story and my story is um something that was explained to me by a, a very wise person um and explain that for a Japanese teacher, when they're in front of the classroom, um, they talk to the class and they see the class as a as a unit, as a whole, as a group, as, as the stereotype would indicate, right? Uh, that, that, that the class mm. is, is an, a thing of itself, whereas I think most Westerners, when they're uh, looking at a class and talking to the class, we are talking to them as a, well, a group, yes, but a group of individuals, and we... A collection of individuals. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's a big distinction, because if you're talking to the group, the fact that three of them are asleep or two of them engage in conversation, it doesn't ruffle the feathers of a Japanese teacher at all, generally, unless it gets very disruptive. And you and I both, I know, have had the experience. We walk past a classroom. There's a classroom in session. There's a Japanese teacher talking in front of the room. Half the class is asleep. Half the class is doing something else. And there's one or two kids in the front row maybe listening. Um, and, we, you know, the, I'm sure the first time that you saw this, you it, you had the same reaction I did. You just stop in awe with your, your mouth wide open looking at this in shock and horror until you the fourth or the fifth time that you see this. And you say, huh. Something going on here, and it's it's so different, right, from our expectations of what a classroom is or or should be, and um, that then was then explained to me that yeah, well, that that's the, one of the one of the reasons um, is that yeah, when we talk to a class, we expect that the individual to whom we're speaking is going to at least somehow be engaged in the conversation and not completely slip away. That's an interesting idea because that agrees with or provides support for, I think it was a man named Nesbitt who wrote The Geography of Thought, which looked at how cognitive processes are different for people from different cultures. Mm. And he has the famous example where you take, I think he took 
Japanese and maybe Korean students and showed them a, I think, a goldfish bowl with a goldfish in it and maybe like mm. a little plant. And he also did this with American students and compared how they just, you know, described what they saw. And Americans would usually say there's a goldfish. Whereas the Japanese and Korean students would say there's a goldfish bowl, there's some sand and water, of course, and there's a plant, and in that there's a fish. So kind of ties in a little bit with the idea of seeing the whole, which is, I think, what a Japanese teacher would see, versus us seeing separate individual units collected together in the classroom. Mm. So it's kind of an interesting read. He has some interesting ideas. But I think that there are the different expectations, and we've talked about it. I know many teachers have talked just about the idea in Japan that when you get to university, it's basically club med for four years. Mm, this is that's, their break. Yeah, that's worth talking about because from outside Japan, people and, – and people new to Japan might not be aware right, of that. Right, that university, you're busting your tail – for elementary school so you can get into a good junior high school, right, studying for a test. Then you basically spend all of junior high schools prepping for your high school entrance test. And then you spend all of high school prepping for your university entrance tests. And then when you finally get to college, it's basically, this is where you develop your connections, your network, your social web, so to speak. It's not intended to be a educational experience for most students. And in fact, up until a number of years ago, companies thought and considered it was their responsibility to train the university graduates, to educate the university graduates. And was it you, Tony, who told me the story about one company president who um, was happy, I think, of a very large company who said, it's good that these students don't study when they're in college because otherwise they'd have knowledge or information put into their heads that they don't need no that was not me but, but I'm not it's surprised. not surprising so that's a big difference is an expectation well, of so, yeah it's a big difference and, and you look at the it's almost like a a swap of like the high school experience and the university experience if you compare to japan and, and you know we're westerners americans uh from the united states whereas our expectation and one of our things in high school is like not to push the kids too hard, um, that they need some time on their own. They need to develop. They have their friendships. They have clubs. They have teams, um, maybe a part-time job. Maybe they haven't make enough money. They've got their own car. Um, you're like young adults. So there's a lot of time on their own. And that is kind of the, the playtime. And you get it, and we make it as ostensibly as easy as possible for as many people as possible uh, to get into university. When then it changes and the university becomes very serious and it's very hard to stay in a university. It's sink or swim time. You've gotten your chance. You've been admitted. Now you've got to produce. It's almost the inverse in Japan where in high school your job is to uh, study hard enough so that you can get a high enough grade on the entrance examinations to get into a good university. Mm. Once you're in the university, your work is done. Then, as you said... This is playtime. This is the time for socialization, networking, uh, having fun, relax, kicking back, and without the expectation that this is going to be a period of work. And if you have an, a foreign teacher coming in and retains the expectation of a Western university is confronted with a class or and many classes um, with this very different expectation, you're going to have some friction. 
This is very true. Although I, I guess the problem for me is I still come in with the expectation that this is a learning <laughs> experience. And maybe that's how, what's the difference between an expectation and an effective filter? The expectation uh, is what you think is going to happen, and the effective filter is how you deal with your expectation of being disappointed. But now you know that you what what you're up against, and you can use different strategies to turn that into uh, a place of learning, a learning experience. Uh, you know that you're, it's a barrier that you've got to overcome, that, that it's something that you need to, a foundation that you need to, to lay in order to build on top of it. You can't just assume that it's there. Otherwise, you end up in the mud. Okay, so we have the difference in expectations or what is the students are expecting to do in their four years of university, and we have our expectations. And I think, though, I want to go back to something you said, which was our generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm really becoming convinced that the my, my, my age, the difference between the age of my students and myself is a far bigger gap than the culture gap now. It's much I'm starting more to sense that. that I'm, I'm trying to think that that's because Japan is changing and has nothing to do with the fact that I'm in my mid-50s now. Well, also all the fact that you've been here for over 20 years. So, I mean, right. all those are factors. I was right? hoping I mean, that that wasn't adapted. the case, though. Well, yeah. I mean, it was part of it, uh, part of it that, yes. Is denial, is denial an Individually getting older. <laughs> <laughs> but also the fact that, you know, living in Japan for such a long time, yeah, it seems more "quote unquote" natural to us. I mean, because we're here, we have adjusted hmm. to whatever extent we're going to adjust. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that's very true. But I still find myself always struggling with, and this again must be the post hippie generation. I was born in 1958, so the 60s was something I was going through as a elementary school kid. Basically, is that university was this deep. Back in my my day. (laughs) I'm not talking like that yet. You little whippersnapper. God, you're getting rude, Tony. You're getting rude. You see, now you think it's polite and funny, and I think it's rude, and there's more effective filters there. I think the audience is with me anyway. Yeah. So the difference is that when I went to school and college was this intense period of trying to Search for truth, actually. You know, who oh, am it was huge. I? It was painful, you know, and being exposed. I remember professors introducing us to books and graduate students and who am I? What am I? What are my values? Uh, things are being oh, turned Oh, yeah, the over. world of knowledge, a world of learning. I mean, ex- uh, horizon expanding. How ignorant I mean, and untrained and ill-prepared I was for this university mm-hmm. experience. And I think students... Um, at least the ones in Japan. I'm lucky I teach at a pretty good university, and a reasonable number of them are really trying to explore things. But I think some of them aren't. But I also know that a lot of this is very much uh, tinted because it's a language class. This is not their major. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Right? Not only that, and that this is not how only I judge is it them. Not their major, but yeah, the the fact that it's a language class and the fact that it's an English class, maybe even more so, um, that. What you just described, and which was also, by the way, my own expectation uh, universe and experience uh, in university, um, I think the few there may be more students who ha- have that expectation. I, I don't think many, but there might be more. But I think for them, they certainly don't expect it from a foreign language class. Mm. 
not from an English class, and uh, the, the, ele- the elephant in the room no one's talking about, from a foreigner. Mm. Um, they're going to get that from their, sorry, their, their real teachers. Great point. You know, that is a really interesting and important point, is that in many ways I think you're right that students don't consider us real teachers. They just think you're a native speaker who was in Japan and you landed a job. Yeah, yeah. And we've been here for 20, 25 years, and we um, have adapted and gotten used to being here. But for some of them, it's the first time that they've had any really direct contact with a foreigner. Yeah, but that's getting less and less common. But I think there is that. But I also think that uh, it's part of also how they see the foreign language teacher. Sure, sure, sure. And maybe it's also, maybe I was guilty of that when I was taking my German classes in university, that the teacher who was the language teacher wasn't as in the same echelon, right, or so to speak, in the same level as a a content professor. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'm guilty of that. Maybe, maybe. And maybe you're selling yourself short, or maybe maybe it was your teachers because – uh, in a foreign language class, you would expect, I, I think, the, 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 again, American student expectation is, yeah, you're going to get the vocabulary, you're going to get the grammar. But I think most kids would also have the expectation that you're going to also get the cultural component. And the expectation is, well, the reason, part of the reason that you are studying the foreign language is to learn more about the world and another culture. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Why else would you learn a language? <laughs> <laughs> for future, uh, for the to- TOEIC well, for test, a job. so I, I can get a score, I get a job, and I can make a lot of money. And right, I think that's true. <clears throat> but your point is is well taken. That the idea for students that they would be challenged or exposed to new or different ideas in a language classroom would be beyond most of their expectations and beyond most of their experiences. I have to agree on that. I know that I teach, uh, this semester I just finished teaching a writing one class. And this is again for future teachers. This is the English education program at my university. And I always include, okay, future teachers, raise your hands, listen up, little bits of advice that I try to integrate into the classroom. Mm -hmm. And they really appreciate it, but I think they're, they're surprised by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, yeah, that surprise is something I think that we maybe need to address a little bit more. Um, it's a, not to stereotype, but I'm going to, uh, it, it's a bit of a cultural trait uh, that um, people handle surprise or the unexpected very differently than um, they do in, in Western cultures. Uh, uh, surprise is not a big, not a good thing here. Uh, with, if you're going to introduce something new, if you're putting, putting a new idea, you need to let, let, lay the foundation. People don't like the unexpected. People don't like surprises. And if, for example, you and I, or those of you out there listening, the English teacher are going to <laughs> change the rules of the game by introducing big ideas into a foreign language class, you kind of got to prime the pump, I think. Okay, well, how would you prime uh, they, that cause, pump? Because they just, they just they don't get it. Ah, it's, just, it's it's hard. I can't give you specifics. I don't know. You just, it's something you begin at the very beginning. Um, and, you know, the, again, I have my my first day spiel talking about how the class is going to be different. It's all going to be in English. Um, you can't learn foreign language without culture, and, and culture is not 
paintings in a museum. It's the very basis of how we think, and you're going to get a lot of this. And I just reinforce that all the way through. How much of that gets through, I have no idea. I'm sorry. I was just kind of laughing at the last comment. (laughs) I'm pretty sure sometimes I feel it's nothing. Here's an example again, right, to go back to that effective filter is I feel like it's nothing. And then I run into a student and they'll say, oh, Mr. Wiz, by the way, you said, and well, you, you, you remembered that you heard that. So again, it's sometimes my perception. And the thing you said about surprise, Tony, uh, is another interesting thing, especially culturally talk about cultural differences that you can scold a student and there's they'll smile and kind of laugh. And you think that, in an, for an American, you think that they're just sloughing it off, right? But mm-hmm. here, it's that's a sign of real nervousness, not knowing. Oh yeah, what so, to so do. It, it's 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 the nervous reaction when you right. don't know what to do. And you, you turn you, around you, and you, you say, "What's so funny?" <laughs> so, <laughs> and then they laugh even more. <laughs> Outside, <laughs> right? Okay, take so, your books and get out of here. Okay, so some of the things that are different are expectations. What other psychological, emotional? factors do you think perceptual factors are affecting teachers in the classroom we might disagree on this one and it hinges back on the on what i was just talking about but one of the other things that yeah this my one of my mentors um explained to me very early on is that um in the class when you're when you're talking to students or outside of the class when you're when you're dealing with them in any way do not forget that you are the sensei capital t capital s uh, and uh, the students will always hear your words and judge your behavior in that context with that filter that you are the the teacher, you are the sensei, and and this society, which is you know, as you know, again to cite another stereotype, much more hierarchical in nature than than we're accustomed to. That's a big thing when a, when a, uh, someone of a higher rank, a, a senpai, a superior, overly, um, says something. It means something. It's not just the words. The context and the the relative rank of the people uh, having the conversation means something. And if you say something as the teacher, it holds much more weight than. For example, uh, you or I, when we were kids and talking to our professors, because before they were professors, they were human beings. Nah, for me, they were professors. (laughs) So you see, there we are disagreeing. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's true that the students will always see you as teachers. And though you have to be careful with what you're saying, because it is taken in a different way. Hmm. At the same time, though, my experience is they give you a lot more flexibility maybe than I gave my teachers or my professors. There's um, when, if you know, there's the department kind of get-together and you're seeing students in a more casual vein, they definitely change also. And I feel more relaxed. Um, I'm still careful. But I think they're more accepting in certain ways about things. So well, I think there. I think I, I didn't mean to say they weren't accepting, but I think that you, when you're even in that mode, you still are the teacher. I mean, that gives them a context in which to interact with you in that way, right? Because, but but in that context, that's okay. That's teachers and students in this casual context. So now they know how to behave, and they follow those rules, right? And so perhaps 
the ways that people can conduct themselves in the classroom, very casual compared to a more formal manner, has an effect on students. Mm. But I think that's really changing a lot. I um, walked past a classroom the other day and I saw a Japanese teacher sitting on a table. That's interesting. I use. Um, I, I, mean, always I always sit, sit on, on the table too, right? That's what you're going to say. I sit on the. I sit on a desk the very first day of all my classes, just to challenge them, right? And explain. to challenge them and explain and explain to them why I'm doing. It. it says I. I know that people don't sit on desks in Japan. <laughs> I'm not a barbarian, uh, but this is this is the thing. There's a reason why I'm not standing up there at the podium behind a desk, um, and this is why. Again. I, how many of them get it? I mean, most of them are deer in the headlights. The first day of class, it's a foreigner talking. It's like, yeah, please don't call on me. I don't know the answer. Mm. Yeah, but um, yeah, you talk about what I do. It's like, well, yeah, I, I, that very first day, I start laying groundwork. Okay, you're going to be getting other stuff. It's just not about nouns and verbs exclusively. Mm. Okay, so I think it goes back and forth. Roles, the hierarchy. There are cultural differences. Uh, you think there's any other things you're bringing to the classroom that is affecting coloring the way you see things or are able to evaluate the situation? Well, we've already thrown out about five or six stereotypes that we're carrying around with us. And, I'm getting um, you to throw think, them out so I don't have to yeah, take yeah, any yeah. responsibility well, at this point. Well, so. I, I, yes, but, that, I mean, that's a, that's a big thing, too, because those things we need to – yeah, and, and in a way, it, of course, it's a shortcut and it helps us. Um, understand things that come up and that don't have any other explanation, but at the same time, uh, prejudging um, can really blind us to what might otherwise be fairly obvious uh, things going on with the students, either individually or in group, or um, our own behavior. You know, and what we, what what we're doing that is um, eliciting some reaction from the students. Like, for example, it's like maybe, and again, we'll throw this out, these classes are over for us now, but uh, our Monday morning classes that we've referenced a few times about uh, how uh, they were especially reticent, you know, as far as classes go. So, and we attribute it to classroom personality. Might it have been something that you or I were doing? I don't know. Did I mention? Don't know. I don't know. I, I always thought one day... I was sitting around in a department meeting at another school, and we were trying to decide when to put a certain class. I mm -hmm. don't know if I've talked about this. And one professor says, whatever you do, don't make it first period because the students are sleepy. And another professor said, well, whatever you do, don't make it <laughs> second period because they're hungry right before lunch. Mm -hmm. And another professor said, the third period, don't do third sleepy period they're sleepy lunch. because it's after lunch. And don't put it fourth period because they want to go home. <laughs> So, no, I don't think it has anything to do with our personalities. But, <laughs> but seriously, I know for a fact that I match up well with certain classes and don't match right. up with other classes. It's the dynamic. It's the matching. Again, right? it's that thing we started at the beginning, which is that there's this space, and I'm going to call it the arena or the stage or the theater, whereby these individual human beings who have shared identities sit or stand in this physical space that I have an incredible amount of responsibility and power over in terms of defining. And it's not what they want and it's not what I want, but it's kind of how those two things mix together. As you pointed out, it's a dynamic and it's the sum is far greater than the separate parts or as is often the case or was with the case with my Monday class, the sum was far less than the individual parts put together.
Mm. And I think it's a good way thing to do is to look at it as a dynamic. And maybe that's one of the things that I still have to get through my head is that I just don't have control over that. And I'm never going to have control over that. Yeah. There are things that I yeah. can do to modify it. But if I know going in that I'm trying to create the most positive dynamic rather than saying, hey, this is a class or a space, that helps. But yeah. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, sometimes you know it from the minute you walk into that class on the very first day. It's funny how fast that happens, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? And then you think, wow, this class is going to be great. And, you know, many years ago I was talking with a number of people and we we're trying to figure out if you have, let's say, X number of students in a class, what percentage of those students have to be extroverted and enthusiastic and motivated to make it a good class? It's a question, but whether or not it's an appropriate one for this podcast, I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, know. don't know whether it's percent. It's not only the percentage, but like who it is. And the type, your alpha right. dog, and um, the who, because a lot of times you'll have a kid who's, really, you know, two or three kids, maybe gung-ho and enthusiastic, but if, the, if they're the pariahs, if they're the outcasts, no one else is going to say a word all year long. Yes. Um, going back to the, you said like, what else, what other kind of filters and things are going on? I think that, you know, again, going maybe another level down, something more basic. When you talked, just got finished talking about uh, the classroom space, um, one of the other filters that are very different you know, for us and, and, and for the students that we teach uh, is the basic idea of, you know, we talked a little about roles already, but beyond the roles, what does learning look like? You know, you, you, I talked about passing oh, by a classroom it's, it's or like, lectures. It's like, a rainbow-colored beast with large horns. <laughs> <laughs> but you describe, yeah, like a learning space. It's like they see, in, you know, to, to, to a kid, to a person, every one of those kids is like, you know, school, their image. They're sitting at a desk. There's a teacher up there in front of the room, and he's talking or, God forbid, reading from a book mm. or is from his lecture notes from 15 or years God ago. Or, God forbid, he's talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or ask me a question. Please right. read from so, the book. Don't talk to me. <laughs> and it and it it came up because yeah, again a pretty high level class and the topic was um, clothes and appearance and it went all kind different directions. But one of the uh, little light motifs that that came up uh, among the conversations with the kids. And talking about school dress codes, uniforms for kids, and and you know I always turn around to like to get them more engaged in the present. Like, okay, uh, your teachers here. It's like, what do you think? This and that, and um, they talked about the importance for teachers not to dress too casually or students to dress too casually because it's a place of learning. And I picked up enough on it to, to comment to the kids afterwards. Well, I says, well, you know, you, you talked about this being a place of learning. And I says, I realize that your picture of learning and my picture of learning are two very different pictures. Um, whereas I and many other teachers kind of see students engage in some activity, like especially a foreign language class, talking together, um, something very casual where their images is like, yeah, this is a place of learning. That's Work and I think I see the image of the of the Japanese juku, the after school school where the really serious studying happens, um, it, from their perspective, right? The, the, the serious learning. It's not only, um, by the way, from their perspective. I know for a fact that we asked, we were listening to uh, one of my daughter's teachers 
like two years ago talking about the fact that the school doesn't like to give students too much homework because it interferes with their juku work. Mm. Talk about go. reversing everything and yeah, the cart before the horse, or something. But that's that's actually, and, and, I, and I've heard that from students too. Right, um, they're, they're best they talked teachers, about the teachers who cared about like, them. Didn't the, yeah, that didn't matter what happened in day in school during the day because their real learning was happening at the juku. That's where they really learned, and that's where they studied. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Right, and that so they have this idea of I wanted you met you said this. It's a place of learning. Hmm. It doesn't mean it's what's the word I want to say. It's not a time where I learn, for example, which would mm-hmm. indicate that some kind of activity or action is necessary. So that's an interesting point that how they see how students will see what's going on. But the other, th- I'm gonna dra- I can drag out another stereotype. Oh, yeah, well, as <laughs> um, long as you're dragging with, them with, out, with, I'm a, all, a, all appearances, fine right? Yeah, the importance of appearances. So, for example, yeah. A uh, place of learning. Make what does it look? You know, yeah, you have to dress the part. Um, you know, here you go skiing. Even if it's your first time skiing, you've got to have a ski uniform and a matching little pull bag to go with you. Whereas in north of where I'm from, up in Wisconsin, you go skiing. There's people there with the, with with their jeans and their winter coats. Mm. Um, or, or anything here. If, you, if you're riding, yes, if the you're, uniform you're touring on a motorcycle, you've got to have full dress leathers. If you go hiking, the uniform you gotta, is very important. Then. <laughs> you've got to have your knapsack and you've got to have your little tin cup dangling, yeah. but banging on people on the train. Yeah, I just have to get this story out because you just reminded go. me of it. About six, seven years ago, we were trying to sell a car, and I think we were wanted to get an estimate, so we went to one of those used car places that buys and sells cars. And we had a guy, and he sits down at the table, and he's in his suit and his tie, and he's talking. He says, okay, I'm going to do the estimate now. And he asks for, you know, the keys to the car. And he comes back to us, and he's changed clothes into the evaluate the car clothes, right, which is kind is of – Is oh, coveralls kind yes, of thing? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was, it was yeah, the sure. coveralls, and even though they're not getting under the car – they're not putting the car on a lift, right? All he's doing is looking at the registration, making sure that there's no scratches or real dents. the uniform. It's the uniform. So there's yeah. a uniform for everything. And I think that's because a lot of the way things are evaluated are visual cues. Sure. And we... Because you know what to expect. Again, lack of surprise. It's like, okay, this is a doctor because he dresses like a doctor. This is a mechanic because he dresses like a mechanic. This is a teacher because, oh, he's a foreign teacher. That's why he's wearing jeans. Mm. <laughs> but I have noticed that the younger professors, younger Japanese professors, are pretty casual now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Get, it's gotten really casual. Yeah, yeah. We're talking really broad strokes, and we're talking right. stereotypes. And I think also there's traditional some generational ideas changes that are occurring that are quite fascinating. But mm. when you talked about, again, going back to something you said, not the stereotypes, what does learning look like? Yeah. Um, I have this interesting exchange, always have this exchange. Again, as I mentioned, I'm teaching students who are going to be English teachers. And we'll get into this discussion about what's going on in a classroom when they're observing something. And I'll say, well, what do you see? And very commonly you say, ah, the students are interested in the topic or they're motivated. And I go through this whole thing where I say, no, no, no. How do you know that? You're describing internal states. Describe the behavior to me that you see. And this is a very surprising thing to teach people who are just learning to teach, I think, is that you don't know that the student's not motivated. 
you don't know that the student's not bored, right? We assume <coughs> that they're bored. I know, I know, I know. Actually, no, let me, let no, me rephrase talked, that a little no, bit. No, no, no. We talked about, no, we talked about, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. right. Cool. And, that um, there's a different way for these things to go and how we think something's happening, but we're basically assuming what we know what's going on in somebody's head. And one of the ways that I deal with this is by saying I need to only be able to describe a behavior. This is what's happening. Um, the students are using the materials or they're actively writing on the paper or I see that they're doing using follow-up questions or echo questions, for example. And this is one way, I think, to get through the bias that I bring to the classroom is to say, okay, what am I seeing? Not what am I judging? What am I assuming? And that's a little bit helpful. And so it helps me be able to describe what learning looks like. And then... Mm -hmm. I can explain to students, this is what I hope to see while you're in the classroom. And it's helpful for me, too. I don't know if it's really helpful for them, but I hope it is. But I think that pro that's probably very helpful, I mean, to get that positive feedback, because just, just as you just did, it's kind of mentally trying to decipher and look at the situation as like, well, how do I, you know, get this result that I'm looking for? What's happening internally? What are the external signs? Um, of course, not all. I mean, a lot of the kids are pretty much oblivious. But um, a lot of them are trying to, one, do, do their best, um, whether that is their own internal compass that they're following or what the teacher wants or expects. And... We talked about before about making expectations clear. Um, that kind of positive feedback, uh, I think, is always helpful because, again, our filters we, we have these assumptions that are should not be assumptions that they understand certain things that they're going to do certain things they're going to react in a certain way. Um, it may seem very obvious to us. It's not obvious to them. I think stopping and doing exactly what you just said. Say, yeah, this is what I want you to do. You did well today. This was great. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, how often do they get that? Never. Yeah. Or yeah. here's the really interesting thing. How often does the average student get that? The top student's going to hear that. They're going to get that. They're going to get struck. No, they, they've heard it before. Right, you know. but how often does the average or above average student... I remember this happened very early in my career in Japan when I was teaching in a class, and we had this... Um, it was a program where I had the students three days a week, so I really got to know them. And there was one student. She was just the star. And there was this other kid who was struggling and working really hard and was doing well, but was obviously struggling. And I remember I said to that student, I said, you're doing very well. I can see that in a couple of years, you're going to be one of the best speakers, the school, English speakers, this school has graduated. And that student was just shocked to hear something positive because the other student was always getting the compliments. <laughs> always, in the, always in the spotlight. And yeah. that student just a, a year later outshone the other student. And I think... It's just because of my incredible sensitivity to seeing that. But in all reality, it's the fact that um, the, the students who get comments, the students who get talked to are either the top or the bottom. You're getting yeah. on the students who aren't motivated. And the average, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, again, yeah. that average middle area just gets ignored. 
even though okay. that's what we end up aiming for and aiming at when we plan out the classes and we make all the compromises we do. Mm. So, yeah, there's a lot of those things that go on. And the thing I wanted to maybe mark or highlight or underline, and this is an example of the way we see things. And again, saying that I want to measure behaviors is that, mm -hmm. you know, the kid who comes to your class and is always sleeping or mm -hmm. the kid who's always coming late. I don't know mm -hmm. how many times I have shocked the student by saying, excuse me why are you late? And they're like, what? I said, well, you're always late. You've been late for the last four weeks. What's going on? And you'll find out that the student is maybe working a part-time job until two in the morning, and you find out that that student's putting themselves through school. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. they have a sleeping disorder, they have insomnia, or they're depressed, or something's going on. In other words, assume that most things are symptoms and are indicative of something deeper. And I find if I can remember that when I find myself being biased um, against the student who's sitting on the floor, for example, from the first day, or, you know, as, you know, the other kind of things where you walk into a class on the first day and the student has his feet up on his chair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have mm -hmm. to really fight the, uh, the urge to make a whole lot of judgments about that student. So mm -hmm. grounding things in observation and what I can see is is valuable and helpful. But, but also what you do with those observations, right? So you make the observation, but as you, as you pointed out, um, make the observation, first step. Right. Second step, don't assume that it means what you think it means at first. And don't, assume, don't assume. And don't assume that what you think, what you say means something to that student is what they hear. Exactly. That's the big one. That's the mistake I always make is how could you how could you misconstrue that? And then you realize it was so clear. It was clear. It was clear. It was it was obvious. You were very clear. I'm not supposed to come to class anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think you know the expectations are interesting that way and how things work. So yeah, biases, filters, yeah, these are the things I'll try to figure out. What am I communicating? When I walk into that classroom, yeah, right. How I, I stand, to... how I walk, how I dress, right. Everything, yeah, yeah, everything. Um, and especially for um, just a, a little, a little aside here. Especially if you're listening to this and you, if you're new to teaching, um, go back to minute forty-one and listen. Even though it was Charles, <laughs> listen to it. Listen, listen to it again, <laughs> and um, and and understands like the importance of that of praising the students um it doesn't work with everybody and it doesn't work all the time but when it works uh, you will when it works it's transformational and, it, and as as charles said those students in the middle they've never gotten that before and again what i said before about the, the from the teacher the teacher told me i was doing a good job today and that is can be for some kids a watershed moment. It can change their whole attitude about school, about English, about their lives. Mm. It sounds hyperbolic, but you've, Charles, you've seen it. I've seen it. Um, these kids, they just light up. Yeah, and it's really true. I'm convinced that um, the movie Babe, right? The Talking Pig. You've seen that, right? Yeah. Mm. No, anyway, I haven't. It's, but it's I, I know movie. the I know the movie. And, Don't um, tell me. Yeah. What's his name? James. Um, um, oh, I forget the the guy. He plays. 
he's a farmer who talks to the pig and he's a man of few words and he was in um la confidential and um some other stuff anyway not important who the guy's name Mm -hmm. but he finally at the end says to the pig finally compliments a pig by saying something like you did well pig you did well that's the only time the farmers ever complimented (laughs) this you know pig who's this really talented pig like a sheep herding pig and i realized that for most students they've never heard a lot of compliments because they're not the gifted ones they're the average you know the b plus student the b student or a little bit below who has not heard a compliment. And so, yeah, yeah. And again, so that, as a well, teacher, we don't get compliments very often. For, no, uh, we for never teachers, we think never about did. it, what happens when the kid walks up to you, the student walks up to you and says, I never liked English, but your class really made me want to learn. You glow mm. after you hear that. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. we're the same way, I think. And that's part of Maybe, here's an interesting I th- thought that just came to my mind, or it's interesting to me. Maybe... The classroom is a compliment um, poor environment rather than a target rich environment. We don't really well, certainly traditionally that's right, true. We don't compliment the teacher doesn't hear good things and the student doesn't necessarily hear good things and basically you just hear a lot of scoldings. No, it's a it's a huge cloud of negativity in most cases. Right. right? The boss wants to see you is never a good sign, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that maybe how we view the classroom. Mm. Right, it's real. Yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that one now. Mm. 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 Gonna have mm. to think mm. about that. So, yeah, a lot of things there. I think it's an interesting topic that we just kind of danced around. Mm. Exactly what really is involved here, but you know, I'm assuming that you know my my aim is true, right? That I have good intentions, and I hope that they get carried out. And I know sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. <sighs> And uh, it's nice when they work. You know what they say about good intentions, eh? Um, yeah. Is it a stereotypical kind of comment? No, no, it's not, not stereotypical. The, the, the road to hell is paved with good ah, intentions. that one. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's not... It, but it, it is rare that it come and comes walk into the class with bad intentions. I mean, they've got... Most of them, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they, you know, there are good intentions. And yeah, they're all trying to do things, but... Yeah, we've got these different perspectives and these different filters, um, way different expectations uh, of what I'm going to do, what, what's fair, what's not fair, um, what's supposed to happen, what I'm supposed to do, um, and again, from the student perspective or from the teacher's perspective, um, all these conflicting things. And somehow that's got to get worked out. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess, you know, boiling it down, uh, one of the things that, you know, when, when you were talking and we, we both agreed at the end, just never assume. Right. Don't assume. You got to confirm. And to the extent possible, right, because um, a lot of us are teaching students whose English level is not that high and a lot of us, uh, our Japanese skills are not that high, but to the extent possible, um, radical idea, talk to the student. Um, it's a, it's a, again, it's, it's a little bit of that. You step outside the role for, you know, for them step outside the role to the extent that you can. And as, as you said, you know, why are you late? I was like, it catches them off guard, but it opens doors. And, um, you've, I think would be very positively surprised 
one, um, with the answers that you get, I mean, just informationally, but just the gesture of asking that question uh, opens up uh, another level of interaction with with the students that makes the teaching so much easier. Yes, and to add to that, because I agree with you, Tony, it's amazing how some things can just make your life easier, and perhaps you'll disagree with me, but I know that I always tell students when they come in late, no matter how late they are, even if they were to come in 10 to 15 minutes before class finishes, I always say, thank you for coming. And they're shocked by that. And that's actually an outgrowth of uh, years ago when uh, someone sent me one of those emails, you know, um, why dogs are better than men and why dogs are better than women. And it's a comparison. And one of the things I always remember was somebody said, one of the lines was, the later you are, the happier a dog is to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is completely sensible, right? Sure. Whereas humans sure. are just, we're angry at, you know, so we got bigger egos. So, but I, I, that changed my attitude towards, you know, people being late. And yeah, the last thing you want to do is make your classroom a place that people dread coming to. Or look for any right? excuse not to come to. Well, there's only <laughs> right, exactly. so much you can do on that. I mean, mm. but as much as possible, it should be. Well, it's not what you want. I mean, yeah, yeah, sometimes we can't avoid it, but it happens. It's not what you want. This is, that is true. That is true. And we do our best, but there's a lot of, you know, baggage we bring into the classroom. And again, as we pointed out, some of it's cultural, some of it, um, is age. I wonder how much of it's being a man. Mm. Um, it'd be interesting to hear from, you know, some of the women teachers, women listeners, mm. whether they feel that there, there must be a lot of differences. I've heard different things from other women, but I wonder what people would say. And the variety. There, there's, there's a topic. Ooh. And that topic <laughs> is? Uh, gender in the classroom. Yeah. I mean, male teacher, female teacher, male student, female student. Go. Um, Discuss. <laughs> and so, this is episode number 22 of Two Teachers Talking. I'm Charles Wiz. <laughs> I think it's a good time to wrap that up, Tony, because we're just going to open up mm. another can of worms here. That's right. And uh, we're kind of in the off time right now, off period, but that's going to be ending in a little bit, in a while. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, this is Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. Two Teachers Talking. We're at twoteacherstalking.com on iTunes at Two Teachers Talking. And we'd love to hear from you. The website is actually it's twoteacherstalking at gmail.com. Sorry. I'll get, I'll get correct. this right one of these days. It's too many two teachers talking, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And well, it should be easy to remember. That's, that's why well, we I got did the first it. part, but it's the <laughs> gmail.com and .com and there's the Skype. Right? Two teachers talking if you want to Skype us. And uh, yes, and so we're getting ready for this uh, one year of podcasting pretty soon. Tonight. Right. Yes, one year anniversary coming up. So we'll have to see if we can pop a bottle of champagne or Here do that go. virtually or something. Mm. Oh, excellent. Okay. Good idea. All right. So we're at the end. That's a wrap. It'll be good okay. talking to you soon. Enjoy your breaks, everybody. Yes, enjoy because soon they will be over and the cycle <laughs> will begin again. There we go. Okay. Be well.